You are doomed, Doctor. Doomed! You are piloting your TARDIS into a deadly trap, and even you will not suspect until it's far too late. <laughs> you know, if you're going to spy on me, you really should turn the speaker off. My dear Doctor, after our many centuries of conflict, naturally I wished you to know that your certain death is now certain! But even you will never suspect that your destruction awaits you on planet Zaston 4. You only turned the picture off, I'm afraid. I can still hear you. I know that. Of course I know that. Curse you! Now, I wanted to talk to you anyway. I have some news that even my arch enemy needs to hear. Uh, meet me on the planet Tercerus in two hours relative time. And do try not to be late. Walk me while you may, Doctor. My revenge will be all the sweeter. And it will be a deadly vengeance. It will be the deadly vengeance of deadly revenge! <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Who Watches Who, a Doctor Who podcast with me, Matthew, and as always... Hello, I'm Scott. Hello, Scott. This week we are covering The Curse of Fatal Death. A peculiar one for us to cover. Um, A bit unlike anything we've covered before, really. Just a bit. Yeah, it was originally made for comic relief i am Mm -hmm. to understand and written by stephen moffat and it's very silly uh and it was originally published on the 12th of march 1999 uh a long old time ago now published yeah to the wide audience on television uh in 1999 and it came out on a friday of all days uh during this time bill clinton was the united states president a known saxophone player, and the UK Prime Minister was Tony Blair, and they were both white dudes who did bad things. The interesting mm, yep. <laughs> interesting thing that happened on this day is f- the former Warsaw Pact members of the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Poland joined NATO. Uh, NATO, whoever heard of those guys? I'm sure they won't be important in the future. Felt mm-hmm. like you were going to say something there. Uh, nope. Some, no. Uh, the number one movie, right? There, there's not a lot of history on this day, but the number one movie is an interesting one. Uh, it's one that you really need to analyze to get, you know, think about 1999, you know, analyze through what was going on around is, March 19. 19- is analyze a hint because you just said word twice is it analyze this it is analyze this how do you ever figure that one out analyze this directed by harold ramis is a movie i have never seen have you ever seen this movie no i just know it's by harold ramis because he's a legend Yes. Uh, Analyze This is a 1999 American Mafia comedy film directed by Harold Ramis, who co-wrote the screenplay with the playwright Kenneth Lohngren and uh, Peter Tolan. 
The plot follows a crisis-stricken mafioso, played of course by Robert De Niro, it's the only role he plays, who solicits the assistance of a reluctant psychiatrist played by Billy Crystal. Uh, Analyze This was given a wide release by Warner Brothers and Roadshow Entertainment on March 5th, 1999 and grossed $176 million worldwide, received positive reviews and got a sequel called Analyze That in 2002 and I'm sure it's dreadful. So this movie came out round about the same time as The Sopranos, which which is a very very similar plot, which is, you know, the opening of Sopranos is mobster at a therapy's office. Hmm. So very Just similar. one of those times where the Matrix gets its wires crossed. <laughs> you know. I, st- I still have to see the fourth Matrix. Well, I... uh, it's so good. It's so I, good. I, I don't want to watch it. <laughs> it's so good. Uh turning our eye back further into history all the way to the year 31 uh we is the first ever easter according to the calendar maker dionysus exegus uh and if there ever was a guy to trust it's that one um (laughs) (laughs) then jumping forward like four or five years to the year 1669 uh when mount etna nice yeah, yeah. Uh, not so nice is when Mount Etna in Sicily erupted, destroying Nicolosi and killing 20,000 people. Um, not nice. Not nice. Not nice indeed. <laughs> Jumping forward to 1807, the British Parliament abolishes the slave trade throughout the British Empire with a penalty of £120 per slave introduced for ship captains. Uh, so, you know, and then you'd flash forward a couple hundred years and this was on TV. You know, it's mm. the progress of society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1960, the first guided missile launched from a nuclear-powered submarine, and uh, everybody kind of shuddered for a while. Uh, I, that shouldn't be there yet. That's in the wrong place. We're flashing back from 1960 to 1857, uh, or 1807, sorry, where George Canning becomes the British Foreign Secretary. And I was like, why is this, you know, this the website I use for the, the big old history uh, deep dive wait, telling me about... Wait, 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 wait. You use a website for this? I thought it all came out from your head. The, the website's what I call my brain. Um... <laughs> Why is it telling me about this dude, George Canning? You know, what's what's the importance of him? Turns out he was a prime minister at some point. I didn't look into what he did. I assumed almost nothing. Uh, he like, probably did like a post office or something. Like, you know, it's the 1800s. What else is there to do? Throw some did kids a in a factory. <laughs> in 1857, Frederick Lagenheim takes the first ever photo of a solar eclipse, uh, and which is pretty cool. And in 1876, the uh, Glasgow's first ever football match in Scotland, uh, and it's Scotland versus Wales, and Scotland won 4-0. Take that, Wales. Uh, uh, yes, uh, my my favorite sport. Best football. match, best match of the past three centuries, hands down. <laughs> uh, in jumping back to the 1960s into 1961, where Elvis Presley performs live on the USS Arizona, he's off nice. playing music in a boat. And then we're jumping massively forward because a lot of stuff happened and most of it was really depressing and very recent. Uh, but we're jumping to 2019. On this day in 2019, Apple introduced TV streaming platform, Apple TV Plus. And I have never once used it or ever thought about it. I have Apple TV Plus because I just got a new phone that came free for three months on it. But I haven't seen a single show on it because there's still a million other shows and a million other streaming services I need to catch up on. Yeah, so. yeah, it's it's not one that interests me. I don't own a single Apple product. 
Um, you Apparently, know. they have very little shows, but every show just is great, like Severance or Ted Lasso or yeah, other shows. <laughs> well, they've got Mythic Quest from Rob McElhenney of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. And it's got the guy from Community, doesn't it? Yes, 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 it yeah. does. He's in that as well, indeed. Uh, it's, but, it's got the morning show. But I'm not interested enough in that to warrant getting a whole streaming service, you know. Yeah, that's the issue. Streaming services, you need you need a lot of shows to get onto it, but there's, yeah. there's, there's too many. Like, Paramount Plus is releasing in, like, two weeks. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Just and I'm probably going to get it because I'm a big, services. stupid loser. Uh, what are you going to watch on it? Halo and Star Trek. But apparently Halo is shit. So. I know, I know it. I know. I'm still gonna watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll be get oh, I'll be getting it anyway because it's free with Sky. But I'll be watching hmm. Beavis and Butthead. Wow, what a <laughs> terrible decision. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's jump into the the writing history segment, shall we, Scott? Oh yes, uh, yes. Of course, this was part of Comic Relief, which was founded in 1985 in response to the Ethiopian famine. And it started airing on BBC One in February 1988, and it airs every two years. And it was created by Richard Curtis and Lenny Henry. Any? Did you like Comic Relief at one point? Because um, I, I have the vaguest memories of Comic Relief, um, and I, the only memory I have is that one episode where the Doctor, Tenth Doctor, and uh, Fifth Doctor teamed up, and they were like, "Hey." Hi. I'm pretty sure if I was children in need. Well, there you go. So, same thing. <laughs> uh, I never watched Comic Relief then. <laughs> okay, so I, I've watched Comic Relief sometimes because there's, oh, there's a Mr. Bean sketch on or something like that. But as I realized, most of the skits are just awful and it's just depressing. And I never watched a single one after that. Like, yeah, it's not my cup of tea. But yeah, it was created by Richard Curtis, who's a writer-director. He made... Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones, Love Actually, About Time, Yesterday, and on the TV spectrum he made Black ah. Adder, Spitting Image, Mr. Bean, Vicar of Dibley, and like of course... Likes with Rowan Atkinson. He really does, and of course <laughs> he wrote Doctor Who episode, Vincent and the Doctor, which is... Uh, one of the best one, episodes. One of the best episodes for sure. Yeah. And of course we have Lenny Henry, who was who is a comedian, presenter, and actor. He was the shrunken head in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Of course. He was in Broadchurch for an episode, apparently. Never sure. watched Broadchurch. And he was in Doctor Who as Daniel Barton. If you remember a Spyfall two parter that kicked off series twelve. Of course he was in Doctor <laughs> Who. If he was in Broadchurch, everybody in Broadchurch <laughs> is in Doctor Who. That just makes sense, yeah. And and of course, uh, Lenny Henry's most known role is for the Lenny Henry show, which is like a sketch show. And in 1985, he made a Doctor Who sketch as a fake Seventh Doctor after Colin Baker was fired. So he was basically the first actor to play, the first black actor to play the Doctor. In a obviously non-official capacity, but still, pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, so in the autumn of 1998, Curtis began preparing for the 1999 show. He was aware that Doctor Who was celebrating its 35th anniversary and thought it would create a lot of publicity for a fundraiser. So Sue Virtue was brought in to produce this special and she worked with Tiger Aspect, the production company responsible for Mr. Bean and Vicar of Dibley. And Sue Virtue has two Doctor Who connections. 
The first one is her mother was Barrel Virtue and she was Terry Nation's agent before he worked in Doctor Who. And her husband was a huge Doctor Who fan as well. Can you guess who her husband was? Whose husband is this? There's a lot of names in the Sue go. Sue Virtue. Sue Virtue's husband. Okay. And her friend's husband was Terry Nation. If I'm if I'm understanding this story. Her mother was Burrow Virtue and she was Terry Nation's agent. She was Terry Nation's agent. Her mother was Terry Nation's agent. Yes. Okay. Okay. And she's married to another Doctor Who alum. I'm going to swing for the fences and say Tom Baker. No, her husband was Stephen Moffat. Oh. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. Well, I was I was close. I could I couldn't think what era we were in. Uh, but of course we're in 1999, aren't we? What we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Moffat. That's what I said. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so Stephen Moffat had been working in the industry for quite a while at this point, for about a decade, and he was the writer of Press Gang. We've talked about him on the Eleventh Hour, which we did a year ago, which is crazy to think we've done that a long time. Uh, so he wrote a Doctor Who short story in 1996 and the occasional Doctor Who magazine article. And of course, he later became the head writer of the show proper. And yeah, he is hit and miss for me. What about yourself? You're a big Moffat fan? I love Moffat. I love Moffat so much. <laughs> I think he's just a superb writer. You know. Why don't you marry him? I would. Why don't you marry him? I'm not really attracted to him. But... <laughs> everything that he makes you know he tries to make it good sometimes he doesn't succeed sometimes he over succeeds and it's amazing but he always at least tries to show off how big of a brain he's got and i appreciate that yeah he at least tried to take risks whereas chibnall again this is another podcast where i just bash chibnall chibnall plays it too safe and i'm missing moffat yeah nothing says playing it safe like changing doctor who canon existentially you know (laughs) he just doesn't think it through moffat thought it through through. you know he also he also plays it safe in quite a lot of areas chibnall i think but we'll we'll talk about more chibnall stuff another day uh so stephen moffat was initially told that this sketch would be only five minutes long and he wanted to cram in as many iconic doctor who imagery as possible and he asked his friends what they remembered about the shows and people came up with ideas such as the Daleks, the Master, the ability to change bodies, and the Doctor's period clothing, which are all obviously iconic parts of the show. And as he wrote, he realised the comic potential of Master, who is supposed to be the Doctor's greatest foe, but is in fact a total loser consistently humiliated by the Doctor. And Moffat realised he got carried away and accidentally wrote too much to fit a five-minute sketch. Mm-hmm. And he was actually writing a Doctor Who comedy as opposed to a parody. And a lot of this, I feel like, I would feel like 70% of this episode would later be used in his show proper. There's a lot of time travel concepts that are very... Moffat time travel concepts, you know, especially in that first sketch where he keeps falling down into the sewer and then appearing instantly, but he's older, you know, that type of entering your own timeline streamy thing is very Moffat. So um, Curtis loved the first script and agreed to make it more than five minutes, which was perfect as they could split it up into two parts and have a cliffhanger. 
and Curtis then thought it deserved much more money than they initially planned. Uh, so the director of this was John Henderson. He was chosen because he was willing to work for free because this was obviously comic relief. And the only way good talent were attracted was to have the project be made on a tight timescale, meaning they didn't have to work many hours unpaid. And I think this was made over a period of like three or four days, which is mm. it's a really good production considering it was on such a tight timescale. Yeah, yeah. Um, some people from the show came on board for production. Andy McBean and Mike Tucker, who had done some work in the Sylvester McCoy years, they joined the project to do floor effects and Dalek supervision, respectively. While Mark Ayers, who had done the score and stories like Ghostlight and Curse of Fenric, did the music. So we just did Curse of Fenric, and the music in that was very good. So, of course, bringing them in on here is perfect. Uh, Roy Skelton returned to voice the Daleks for a final time after being involved with the show since 1964. So yeah, that's like, what is math? 35 years? <laughs> Almost? What, 1964 to 1999? Roughly 35 years, yeah. Sure. <laughs> 70, 80, 94. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. That sounds about okay, right. I think he's actually one of the longest run, running actors on the show. 35 years work on Doctor Who is insane. And so uh, the production who did the special effects was The Mill. Uh, the company had just won an Oscar for its work on Gladiator. And The Mill would later do all the special effects on Doctor Who, Torchwood and Sarah Jane Adventures from 2005 till its closure in 2013. So this is a nice little bridging the gaps between the classic era and the new era. Just bringing on The Mill, who of course do some pretty good special effects work from 2005 to 2013 yeah. I'd feel. Like there's nothing too wonky in their era of the show. No, it's standard 2000 special effects, you know. Uh, so this was filmed at Pinewood Studios, which were responsible for films like Aliens, The Fifth Element, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and uh, the death scenes were shot underwater for the Impossible Planet. These those scenes would be filmed here, if you remember the Ood episode. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I do remember, yes. Uh, Pinewood is a very famous studio in the Very UK. famous. Yeah. Um, and uh, two bits of information. Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet were rumoured to have been approached to play the Doctor in this. And I think Alan Rickman would have been incredible. He'd be a very fun Doctor. Yeah. Very fun Doctor indeed. And of course, this aired in 1999 on March 12th. And it raised over £35 million. And in terms of actors, we'll go just by bit by bit whenever his new doctor but the first three actors are of course Julia Swahala who was friends with Stephen Moffat since she appeared in Press Gang and she plays Emma I think her name is Emma the I, companion I couldn't tell you <laughs> I just it might she's just companion okay <laughs> uh, she's been in TV shows like Second Thoughts Absolutely Fabulous Chicken Run and Jonathan Creek, she actually just got replaced in Chicken Run for no reason, really. Huh. Which is kind of sad, but, you know, because, of course, there's a second movie coming out. Yeah. Didn't they replace, and like, the entire cast? I think they only replaced two people in the cast. Mel Gibson, for obvious reasons. 
and her for no reason apparently yeah interesting so yeah uh, the first doctor in this who is the ninth doctor because of course this is kind of after the 1996 movie is Rowan Atkinson, and he had obviously worked with Richard Curtis on Mr. Bean, Blackadder, Not the Nine O'Clock News, and he's also been in a million other things like Johnny English, and he's going to be in the upcoming Netflix series Man vs. Bee, which looks absolutely terrible. Yeah, it looks fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> be it, fine. It, it'll, it'll either be fine or it'll be f- funny. Yeah, you know, it, <laughs> it'll be it'll be okay. It looks pretty bad, you know. Nine episodes where Mister Bean is chasing a bee—that's an amazing concept for a TV show. I don't know how you're not on board with it. <laughs> so yeah, of course, Rowan Atkinson had been involved in most comic reliefs, and he had been asking Curtis to play the Doctor in a sketch for years. And his only request was that he would have full script approval before accepting the part. And he wound up choosing to wear a wig on this because he thought doctors only really became memorable when they let their hair grow. Which is an interesting thing I've never really thought of before. You know, when Capaldi let his hair grow, I think he became yeah. more iconic in the role, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah short-haired Capaldi doctor's weird to look at now. You know? He really is. <laughs> and, you know, Matt Smith always had floofy hair and David Tennant had floofy hair. Eccleston had no... He had, like, a buzz cut. And nobody yeah. remembers him, so maybe there's something <laughs> to it. And of course, um, what's his name? Paul McGann had a wig as well. He yeah, had, he had fluffy hair. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, the master in this, the final casting thing for now, until we get into regenerations later on, is Jonathan Price. And Richard Curtis, Sue Virtue, and Moffat were certain he was a perfect choice. And it seemed for a while he wouldn't be available due to his schedule, but he had some free time and even brought the jacket he wore in the James Bond film, Tomorrow Never Dies. So the jacket he's wearing as the master is his jacket. I think he was a villain. I've never seen a James Bond film. Wow. I've seen a few, but I, I don't remember that one. But yeah, Jonathan Price has also been in movies and shows like Brazil, Pirates of the Caribbean, Game of Thrones, and The Crown. That's why I recognize his face. Pirates of the Caribbean. Of course, he plays um, uh, the lady's Elizabeth's dad. That's that's right. that's who he plays. He I plays have Elizabeth's no idea dad. who that character is. <laughs> Elizabeth is the main lady. Love- who's the main? Is that the blonde lady? Sure, she's the, she's the love interest lady. To who's a love interest lady? <laughs> Elizabeth. Describe her. Lady. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the, the actor that plays her. Game of y- No, not Game of Thrones. Pirates of the Caribbean. What are you talking about? Oh. Why would he he's not in Game of Is he in Game of Thrones as well? Oh, he yeah, must he's be. Yeah, he's Thrones. in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, I just looked up Elizabeth Game of Thrones and I found Queen Elizabeth standing next to the throne from Game of Thrones. Right, right. <laughs> who's 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 the main lady then? Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't reckon. I've only seen the first Pirates of the Caribbean, and that was a long time ago. Yeah, they're okay movies, but yeah, but no. yeah. Um, he, of he course, I reckon brought... I recognize him in Game of Thrones as well. Yeah, but also uh, Jonathan Price brought along his beard because he thought it looked exactly like Roger Delgado's beard from the classic series. Yeah, the very master. 
But that's us for our Fox and trivia for this episode until we get into more casting oh boy. things later well, on. Let's jump into this first 10-minute sketch. It's, it's basically two sketches glued together. You know, part one is 10 minutes, part two is 10 minutes. And here we go. <laughs> no doubt, because no one has set foot on this planet for a hundred years, you thought you had escaped my traps of death. But you forget, Doctor, I, too, have a TARDIS. When you told me to meet you at Castle Tursurus, I simply travelled back in time a hundred years. And I bribed the architect. Say hello to the Spikes of Doom. Say hello to the Sofa of Reasonable Comfort. Naturally, I anticipated your journey back in time, and so I travelled slightly further back and bribed the architect first. Or so you think. Naturally, I anticipated your travelling back in time, so I travelled back in time to an even further point. And I bribed the architect first. Well, naturally, I anticipated your journey back to an even earlier point. Doctor, will you stop showing off? You've got something to tell the Master. Just tell him. Very well. I recently calculated that I have saved every planet in the known universe a minimum of 27 times. But, you know, I have grown weary of all the evil in the cosmos, all the cruelty, all the suffering, all those endless gravel quarries. And so I have decided to retire, settle down, and get married. What? Yes. Without even knowing I was looking, I have found a woman to love. A woman more fascinating than all my travels through time and space. A girl more exciting than an escape up a ventilation shaft. A lover more thrilling than an army of cybernetic slugs. <laughs> So the episode begins with the master inside his TARDIS, which isn't something we often see. And his TARDIS is green. Um, the most <laughs> evilest of colours. <laughs> yeah, we see his TARDIS in Classic Who quite a lot during the 80s especially. But yeah, it's something you've not quite seen because you haven't yeah. seen a lot of Classic Who. And, you know, I didn't realise that the 80s took up all 60 years. You know, it takes up a sixth a sixth of Doctor Who history is the 80s, you know? So that's barely any time at all. Um, got you. <laughs> but <laughs> but he's uh, chasing the Doctor uh, and he's monologuing to himself basically a bunch of nonsense uh, that, you know, the Doctor's gonna die a deadly death and he doesn't know that the death is going to be deadly, but he's going right towards that deadly death type deal. And, you know, uh, interestingly for this scene, we only ever see the back of Rowan Atkinson's head. Um, yeah. It was like some reveal that he was the Doctor or something. I don't understand the big surprise in the next scene where he comes out and he's like, I'm the Doctor, you know? Uh, it's like they were building up to his face reveal for some reason. Yeah, it's very weird, especially when, you know, it's obviously publicized that he's yeah. the Doctor everywhere in every magazine. has. <laughs> yeah but whatever <laughs> yeah uh but the doctor's like well you know uh you might as well you might well kill me master but uh you've left your microphone on i can i can hear what you're saying you're broadcasting uh, it to me 
Stephen Moffat making Zoom call jokes yeah. all the way back in 1999. He predicted... Oh, he makes, a, he makes a very specific Zoom call joke very soon when the master <laughs> gets frustrated and turns off the machine and continues monologuing. And then the doctor's like, you just turned off your camera. You didn't mute your microphone. I can still hear everything you're saying. <laughs> you know, that's the most but Zoom joke there. Usually the Zoom's jokes are, oh yeah, you flashed on mute. You ever mm-hmm. way around rather yeah. than turning off the camera. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, they agreed to meet on the planet Terceris, which is actually the planet where the Master was rescued from in the Deadly Assassin, you know, when the Master was a crispy man. Yes, crispy Master, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, they agree to meet because the Doctor says that he has got big news that even his most archest of enemies uh, should find out about. Uh, and then we cut to the planet of Tarsaris where they, where the Doctor comes out, and it is, of course, Mr. Bean himself, Rowan Atkinson, uh, steps out of the TARDIS with his companion that follows, whose name I've forgotten as well. Um, and he basically explains that they're on a planet of farty people. They're like, and that's our first of many um bottom humor jokes in yeah. this episode there is significantly more than i was expecting <laughs> yeah there is a lot of juvenile humor but you know it's 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 it's, uh, it's for parody it's for comedy um but yeah just the party people has always re- reminded me of you know the slovene which would be made six years later the entire yeah. point of slovene is obviously we just fart haunt and also their uh, commentary on the iraq war but yeah no that's <laughs> about them farting a lot um <laughs> uh, and this is where the master shows up and and i well first of all he like zaps them against the wall or something immediately when he shows up and he's like aha doctor and this is where we get into moffat parroting moffat before moffat was a thing uh he's like aha doctor i've got you trapped now and uh you know just before i came to this planet to meet you i traveled back a hundred years to the architect that built this place to install a trap wall there so enjoy meeting the spikes and then the wall spins around then it spins around again and the doctor and the companion are sitting on a couch and he's like ah i think you mean the couch of reasonable comfort (laughs) (laughs) because the doctor traveled back a few years before the master traveled back anticipating that the master would travel back a hundred years and he bribed the architect first and then the master was like aha but i traveled back a few years before you traveled back anticipating that you would anticipate my anticipation uh and i bribed the you know yeah these time travel based humor is the entire point of this first 10 minutes not so much for the last half but the first half is just full of this time travel humor yeah first half's time travel humor second half is regeneration humor you know (laughs) (laughs) it's a good mix yeah yeah uh he drops a giant wall on top of the doctor and then the doctor climbs out from a door (laughs) on the side and he's like ah well you see i anticipated at this point the companion goes okay we get it you're very smart shut up you know (laughs) and they get back on with the rest of the the quote-unquote plot for this episode where the doctor announces that he and companion whose name has just again it's just left my head it's killing me uh but that he and this companion are in love and they're getting married again a prototype for future doctor who you know yes. the doc- the doctor's wife um yeah and uh, you know they they do a big old kiss and the master's like uh oh, you know sadly i will not be able to enjoy your wedding celebrations whatever because 
I have traveled back again to the architect and I told him to build a lever right here and he pulls a lever out from the side of the wall because we're getting time travel shenanigans and it's going to drop, uh, you know, you're going to open up a, a trap door and fall like 200 feet or something into the sewers where you'll be trapped there for the until the dawn of time. Uh, you know, he the companion goes to run but the doctor stops her running as the master pulls the lever and becomes a cartoon character as his eyes open up and he's like oh no and he falls down uh the lever because the trapdoor is underneath him all along because of course yeah, it, the doctor anticipated <laughs> yeah it, it this feels like the roadrunner sketch you know just them constantly up one in each other but yeah uh, the whole love plot was written in just as a middle finger to john nathan turner who was famously did not like the idea of no hanky-panky in the TARDIS, because he did not want the Doctor and companions to hug or kiss or anything like that. It was immediately broken with a TV movie where the Doctor suddenly kisses Grace. And then broken every iteration since then. Yes. Yeah, Um, yeah, every iteration since. Yeah, I was thinking the Twelfth Doctor didn't, but I guess River River Song. Song. River Song. Yeah, Yeah, you know, Rose, and then Rose again, and then Amy, kind of. Amy, kind and of. And then Clara. Clara and then the uh, the, Ma- the Missy. Uh, kissed Missy a few times. Uh, yeah, which, which which was kind of predicted by the end of this yeah, comic yeah, relief special yeah. as well. And and now it's Yaz, although they've not actually kissed yet, as far as I'm aware. That's a good point, yeah. yeah. The, the least... The most underwhelming character arc, the <laughs> romance arc, the Doctor and Yaz, which shows up out of nowhere. It's a romance from, you know, the Yaz just still being there. Everybody else left <laughs> and Yaz is there. <laughs> they go to leave now that the Master has fallen down the tube, but alas, he bursts through the doors looking a lot older. And they're like, oh my god, how are you here? And he's like, well, you know, uh, marched through the sewers. It took me hundreds of years, went back to my Tartars, and I came back to this exact moment uh, so that I could, you know, reap my revenge. Uh, some some perfect Moffat timey-wimeyness there. And then he basically says that he he has he's brought help with him and he's brought the daleks because they are the only aliens without noses and he's just spent like 900 years in a sewer which you know i was like hey, they're not the, they're cybermen and there's you know all these other aliens that don't have noses but i guess the daleks are more iconic slightly yeah. than cybermen um, yeah, so these these daleks are actually fan-made productions rather than oh, they're really, BBC they're really props. really well put together same with the TARDIS interiors. They're just made by fans, and they look really damn good. You yeah. know, considering they're... They, they look almost production quality, I would say. Which, yeah. to be fair, for 1980s Doctor Who was not great, but, you know, great stuff overall. Yeah. Uh, and the Master also reveals that he has become part Dalek <laughs> as well, and he removes his glove to show a plunger. <laughs> and the companion's like, so what are you going to do with that? You don't know, do you? Because, of course, at this point, the plungers had never been used for anything, had they? They'd been used to, like, turn and open doors, probably. Yeah. Something like that. So, um, has the plungers only been used once on the screen? I remember at yeah. the end of Series 2, where yeah. they plunged the guy They to stuck death. the guy's face. That is the yeah. only time I've ever seen them be used. You know, other than <laughs> that, they're used to, like, press buttons in the Dalek ships. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's weird we've never been used again. Like, think of another purpose for those plungers, man. You know, they're used like. for pressing buttons and sucking faces. Uh, <laughs> um, but they have they have some more some more you know fun back and forth banter. 
uh, and the master's like, well, I'm going to kill you myself. And he goes charging at the doctor and he falls yet again into the hole. Uh, and the doctor has this great line that cracks me every time he says, he's like, don't worry, I do believe he knows the way out. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, he then bursts through the door again and he actually like spits out pieces of uh, poop, uh, which was surprising to see and kind of gross. Uh, I think it's clear. I think it's digital. It looks quite digital. It doesn't look practical. Um, yeah. But you know, he's like, ah, oh, you know, all these years spent traveling through the sewers, but I'm back and I'm going to get my revenge. And this, you know, the Doctor and the Companion run away from the Daleks and everything, trying to exterminate at them. And we get an amazing joke of the Doctor and the Companion looping through the same corridor, and they just keep playing the same footage, and, you know, they zoom in on the feet at one point and stuff like that, you know, to make it seem like they're going through different corridors. Uh, And as all this, like, shouting and stuff's happening, the Master inadvertently gets pushed into the hole again, Uh, and then we get another very funny joke of him coming along with a a walker, you know, be like, oh, wait for me, uh, as the Daleks are chasing them. Uh... At this point, the companion's like, oh my god, all these all these corridors look the same. A great classic Who type sentence. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Doctor being like, oh well, well, we'll go through this door and see what's through there. And of course, in parodying the classic Who perfectly here, and the other side of this door is just infinite Daleks. And <laughs> they're all shouting exterminate. The Doctor's about to die. We've seen, How many times have we come to this point in our reviews oh, yeah. where we, at the end of the episode, yeah. the Doctor's about to die. I thought it was perfect. Like... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, this is almost our time up with seeing Rowan Atkinson as the Doctor. So what do you think of Rowan as the Doctor? I think he's very, very good. I could see him on the actual show because he's... Same. I was surprised how straight he played it. Like, he played yeah. it, like, really straight. Like, he was just doing a version of the Doctor. I, I like his costume. You know, I think his eyebrows are a bit weird. But other than that, I I, I really liked his performance as the yeah. as the Doctor. He is, he is excellent. And also, Jonathan Price, even though he's playing it up and he's a it's bit very hammy, ham, very hammy, yeah. But you know, most of the masters are a bit hammy. You know, let's... he definitely feels like a classic Who master. Like he's yeah. doing a good job of carrying that classic Who energy. But yeah, I could see both of these men in their roles. It's just really good acting, and it feels like perfect. It feels like a perfect choice. You know, even if it was played for laughs, I could see them being the ninth Doctor and the Master, respectively. I think they're really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, speaking of the cliffhanger, the original cliffhanger would have had Emma pressing a door control, not realizing the door leads to nowhere, only the sky can be seen, and the cliffhanger is Emma trying to regain balance and it freezes as she topples over the edge. Part 2 would have opened with Emma landing on a path two inches <laughs> below the rampway. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so yeah, this was this was cut out because of how many shots we would have needed, and it's a bit of a nightmare trying to get it chroma yeah. keyed in and all I think, that. But yeah. I think the Daleks is a funnier joke anyway. Um. So yeah, part two would have opened up with the Doctor rushing to her side, shocked that she hasn't twisted her ankle because all girls the Doctor knew seems <laughs> to do that. You know, the classic era yeah. of Tegan getting knocked out by a Dalek plunger and just being knocked just out on her feet for down three the whole episodes. Time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but shall we go into the second part of this sketch? Hell yeah. So, given that exterminating you would be the most sensible thing to do, why do they always change their minds at the last moment? I'll explain later. Behold! 
Once again, I have been augmented by superior Dalek technology, rejuvenating my physical form and granting me even more power over the cosmos. And I notice breasts. They're not breasts, okay? They're Dalek bumps. They can detect iron-charged emissions and operate as etheric beam locators at a distance of up to 20,000 light years. They're also extremely firm. What are you trying to say? Oh, nothing. Why are the Daleks helping you? What are you giving them in return? I have granted them secrets of the Zectronic Energy Beam. Oh, no. You fool, with a Zectronic Energy Beam, the Daleks will be able to conquer the entire universe within minutes. With just a beam? How? I'll explain later. So the second part begins perfectly. I think with the doctor and uh, Emma tied up to a chair uh, with the Daleks surrounding them in this new Dalek base and Emma's being like, why is it whenever your enemies have are about to kill you, about to say exterminate and end you, they decide instead to just capture you? <laughs> the doctor just turns sad and goes, I'll explain later, <laughs> which is just, it's, it's so good. Yeah, it's a perfect joke, but also Stephen Moffat would do that line of a doctor a million times. When something doesn't make sense, it's always, oh yeah, the doctor lies or he doesn't know what he's doing or something. I loved it. I loved it. I think it's brilliant. I think it's because, you know, not in Doctor Who, not everything has to be explained, especially with time travel. The more you explain yeah. in time travel, the harder everything becomes to understand. Uh, but I just, I love that, you know, I'll explain later as an excuse for why is the Doctor get out of every deadly situation <laughs> where he's, you know, purely doomed. Uh, but at this, the Master starts, comes back and he's all young again. And he's got golden boobs, uh, <laughs> which are, are the, the bumps of the Dalek like outer casing which have like rejuvenated him and allowed him to sense different things or something uh it's a very silly joke but you yeah. know it did it did make me laugh um and then we also find out the dalek's plan which is to like kill everything with a big laser and emma goes how does that work and then they go i'll explain later <laughs> like they use the explain later joke quite a few times and it's brilliant yeah. every time there's a weird point where Vidalic whispers to the doctor what their <laughs> yeah. plan is. Like that's the first time I've ever heard Vidalic yeah, when whisper the Dalek's to whispering. The By the way, we're gonna kill the master. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the Daleks are planning on getting rid of the master once he's finished helping them. And the doctor's like, oh, we have to find some way to tell the master this, and together we can team up and defeat the Daleks. And he puts two and two together that they, since they both traveled back in time to talk to the architect, both of them can communicate through farts because that's how the, <laughs> the, the aliens communicate. And so he's going to begin communicating that way. Uh, Emma requests to get put into a different seat. And then she's like, wait, why do Daleks even have seats in their spaceship? To which the Dalek says, I'll explain later. Uh, <laughs> you know, we were asking this question when we were watching Doctor Who in a Daleks movie. Why do the Dalek have a seat that you have to open yeah. the door with? Yeah, they'll explain later. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> uh, at this point, the Doctor starts communicating with the Master via fart. Uh <laughs> And it's fine. It goes on a long time. Um, it really does. It, it, it does go on a long a long time. And the joke... There's, basic, there's the joke, a point where he clenches too hard and he yeah. thinks the master reads it as doob, doob instead yeah. of doom. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll be a doob? What does that mean? Uh, yeah. Uh, and then the Daleks find out 
that they've been communicating and they're like oh we'll just kill you now exterminate they zap they blow up the machine uh and they uh, they shoot the do- the doctor at the same time uh, actually before that happens the master has this great line and it just it made me laugh because it's felt like such a classic who line where he goes oh, you've doomed us all now the machine will both explode and implode at the same time <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, it the perfect doctor who uh classic who like oh sci-fi shenanigans explosion happening you know and again it feels so weird because a lot of this feels like it could just be inserted into a standard moffat script you know yeah it's brilliant um but the doctor gets shot and he collapses and emma's runs over and he's like oh my god the doctor's dead what are we gonna do and of course we get the whole no 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 this is the doctor's ninth life he has got so many more lives look he's regenerating now and then a burst of gold and he regenerates into man whose face i recognize but name i don't remember uh, yes, he is Richard E. Grant, and of course he's playing the tenth Doctor here. He was actually the quite handsome Doctor, and he had no idea what Doctor he was before joining this, as he spent most of his early life in South Africa. Oh. He's known for roles such as Bram Stoker's Dracula, Spice World, The Corpse Bride, Logan, Rise of Skywalker, and of course he has a Doctor Who connection. He was the official. Almost official ninth Doctor in Scream mm. of Ashalka, and if you don't know what Scream of Ashalka is, basically the BBC decided to do a continuation of Doctor Who before they did a continuation of Doctor Who as like animated web cartoons in like 2003, where the ninth Doctor was of course played by Richard E. Grant, and like two months after that came out, they decided to bring back the show to television, and his Doctor was erased from existence. He, he's quite good doctor. He's also in The Snowman, The Bells of St. John, and The Name of a Doctor as The Great Intelligence. Of course, yes, he was The Great Intelligence, wasn't he? Uh, and, and you know, was his version of the Doctor erased from history, or is it part of the Timeless Child storyline now? It's one of those forgotten yeah. Doctors. You can even say this, Curse of Fatal Death, <laughs> is part of a Timeless Child canon. Yeah, you, you know? could. You could. It is. Yeah, yeah. 100%. This is, this is yeah, <laughs> canon. Yeah, Chibnall screwed so much with the canon. He, I love it. He just I love fucked it. everything up. I love it. I love it. Everything can be canon now. That's the best thing about it, you know, because before you'd have to kind of hmm and ha and where does this fit and kind of squint your eyes and be like, oh, it could have fits in there. Now you can just be like, screw it. Like, yeah, why not? Why not? This can be canon. Like, <laughs> uh, the handsome doctor... Per- the quite up- handsome doctor. The- oh, sorry. Yes, of course. The quite handsome doctor jumps up to his feet and he's like, "Oh, I just want to slip into something more comfortable." Uh, and then he looks a mirror, which to <laughs> me felt very doctorish. You know, looking a mirror. I swear to God, David Tennant, the actual temp doctor, did this at one point. I think it was in the fires. No, the the Madame de Pompadour episode. I feel like he the, the, the girl in the fireplace. I feel like he licked a mirror at one point in that episode where he walks into the being drunk he kind of licks a mirror as possible not? i don't remember it's a great episode i don't remember him licking a mirror but it's an amazing episode um i don't remember him licking a mirror at all uh, i'm just i'm I just find a picture of a child licking a spoon weird we'll, we'll, we'll cover that episode in a later date and we'll find out then um we will he starts, you know, hopping around and he's like, uh, the master's like, of course you remember me, your archest enemy, as he reveals his two golden bosoms, uh, which I thought was a hilarious movement, as the doctor's like, ah, oh, yes, of course, you're the camp one. Uh, <laughs> you know, which the master's like, I'm not camp. 
<laughs> you know, he kind of mutters to himself about the Daleks. Like, of course, I remember who the Daleks are. And he goes over to Emma. And he's like, oh, you're my fiance, right? And they, they have this, like, back and forth exchange where he's like, do you still want to get married? And she's like, yeah, of course I do. You're really quite handsome. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, uh, Stephen Moffat would later revisit this concept of somebody loving the Doctor past a regeneration in, you know, with the 12th Doctor and Clara. Yeah. The whole, oh, do I really still love the Doctor? That whole storyline, yeah. which I That's do not like. Handled a lot better in, with Clara than it is here, where she's just like, yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, and you, you know, know yeah, we, I wasn't into Clara being whiny that Capaldi was an old man either. We, you know, we covered that in our Capaldi episode, uh, or, or when we visited Capaldi's pilot. But I think Capaldi and Clara's relationship grew into something much better from yeah. that, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, I, you know, then they go to leave, and the Daleks are are like, our big, our big kill laser is not going to work. And this is the part where I got confused. And the doctor's like, oh, I could save you. There's like, the, they're like, we're all going to die. And the doctor's like, okay, I'll save you. Like, why would, why would the, the doctor loves killing the Daleks? Why would, <laughs> why would he choose to save the Daleks? <laughs> yes, uh, the, of course, the 13th doctor just loves killing Daleks, doesn't she? As did the 9th doctor. And True. I, the 10th doctor committed genocide on the Daleks like every Christmas. Like, <laughs> or, or like the end of every season, you know. Yeah, it, it doesn't make sense, but you know it's not supposed to make sense. Yeah, it it's doesn't matter. Never, it's just another reason to add in another famous person. Into yeah, the so he goes show. over to the machine and he's like, God, I'm I'm going to be really good at rewiring machines, I think, in this body. Uh, and then the machine electrocutes <laughs> him and he regenerates into yet another doctor. Do you know this person? I sure do know his face. Great big bushy beard. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he is Jim Broadbent. He's the 11th Doctor, obviously, and he's the Shy Doctor. He's known for roles such as Brazil, Superman 4, Moulin Rouge, Narnia, Hot Fuzz, Indiana Jones 4, Harry Potter movies, and Paddington 2. Yeah, he's a great actor. Very, very good actor. Uh, And he's got an interesting doctor as well. (laughs) A very interesting doctor. (laughs) With with this new doctor we've got, he's extremely shy of women in particular and really nervous energy. He's kind of just kind of hopping about and not making eye contact. Uh, he's got this great line where Emma's like, look at me, doctor. And he goes, in a minute. Uh, <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, yeah, he's, he's the doctor we see of the least in this special, but he's very funny. He reminds me a lot of Jodie Whittaker when... Graham goes up to her and is like, I think I may have cancer again, Doctor. And my doctor's like, oh, I'm just going to walk over yeah, here because I'm I feel just, quite awkward I, about I, this. Yeah, I'm just, I don't like this. This is, yeah, I'm really awkward here. Um, but obviously in, in Jodie's one, it was a terrible choice. In this, it's very, very yeah. funny because it's, it's a comedy. Um, and he goes back to, you know, he has a brief exchange where he thinks that the master's a woman as well because of her, of his uh, golden, golden boobs. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, he goes back to trying to fix the machine. He gets nervous about doing it in front of Emma, so he goes around the back to do it. And then we get a bang, an explosion. And uh, very briefly, I thought it was Paul McGann coming out through that smoke <laughs> because our next doctor has got hair exactly like him. And it's r- shocking. And of course, our next Doctor is Hugh Grant, who is the, the fake 12th Doctor, and he's the handsome Doctor. Not the quite handsome Doctor, but he's the handsome Doctor. He's also and... a man that people still want to play the Doctor. Oh yeah, he was approached... Well, he, Russell T. Davis tried to approach him in 2003 to play the ninth Doctor, but it, his request didn't get past his agents, 
And of course, he was obviously rumored to be before Team Doctor. And of course, that obviously never happened for the better, I would say. I, I want to see Shooty Gatva yeah. over Hugh Grant. Yeah. And of course, you would know Hugh Grant from movies such as Four Weddings and a Funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones, all directed by Richard Curtis, and also About a Boy, and also Paddington 2. Most of these doctors are from Paddington 2. I've never seen any of those movies. Neither have I. Yeah. But I, I, did... I do recognize, I've seen him in yeah. some other stuff, yeah. Although I did download Paddington 2, 1 and 2 on on Netflix for my, you know, I just went on holiday for a few days and I was going to download them to watch in the hotel room. I'd never had time to watch them, but... The first Paddington's okay. great. I've not seen the second one, but people call it, like, one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so I should probably see it at some point. They both look very charming. Yeah. So our our new Doctor comes through the smoke kind of laughing to himself and he's like i can't believe i just ran through three bodies in less than a minute because i forgot to unplug the machine uh as he's holding the the cable because he was trying to fiddle with the wires while the electric current was running through it and kept zapping himself and that now he fixes the machine instantly um, my, my question to you is do you think it's ever possible for a real doctor to go through something like this go through three bodies in one day or is there like a time limit to when I, you can regenerate? I, I don't think there's a time limit, but, you know, as long as they've regenerated, they still have that residual regeneration energy. If we think back mm. to, like, David Tennant getting his hand cut off, when he got his hand cut off, he didn't, like, regenerate into a new body. Right, yeah. He just grew a new hand because he's still he was still in the process of regenerating. It's not like an instant you know zap it's like oh no we're gonna slowly morph your organs like <laughs> yeah it kind, of, it kind of feels like a perfect plan for the Daleks to just keep exterminating him you know just tie him up and just keep blasting him yeah yeah but i mean like yeah you know it's one of the things with doctor who is why don't they just always zap him to death um but you know plot armor and whatever uh or just do what they did in the impossible astronaut and shoot him as he regenerates interrupt the regeneration mm. and just kill him dead. Well, yeah i remember that yeah. Even if it wasn't him, it was a robot. Yeah, yeah, it was a robot. But, you know, same basic <laughs> concept. Um, anyway, this Doctor, is, they're about to go back to the TARDIS, and the Daleks are like, oh, you saved us, Doctor, thank you. We'll be good guys now. Uh, and then, like, lasers just start flying all over the place. I forget what they call it, like, residual energy or something. Uh, and it just starts zapping the Doctor. He gets hit, like, three times or something like that. Uh, and he collapses to die in front of the, the TARDIS as the Master and Emma come over to him and... He's like, oh, I can't regenerate. I'm, I'm going to die. And, you know, Emma's like, you can't die, Doctor. You know, how, how can you die? Why can't you just save yourself? And the Doctor goes, I'll explain. Uh, and he, he passes away, which I thought was a perfect tie-off to that I'll explain later joke. <laughs> And, yeah, this whole death scene is played really sincerely. There's not really any jokes after that point. It's just, oh, yeah, he's dead. It's really sad. Yeah, and, the, you know, the Master pledges to become a good guy, and the Daleks pledge again to be good people, <laughs> and and everyone's kind of walking away slowly, and then suddenly the Doctor's body begins to glow, and everyone's like, gasp, and uh, Emma's like, oh, my God, even the universe couldn't be without the Doctor in it. You know, it's... Uh, there, there are some nice touches in here where Emma calls him Father Christmas mixed with the Wizard of Oz, which is basically, yeah, Father Christmas and the Wizard of Oz was basically the pitch of the character Doctor Who in the first place in 1962, mm. and um, he, she also says he was never cruel and never cowardly, which was later used yeah. by Stephen Moffat in Doctor Who proper. I can't remember when it was used, but it was used quite often. It was basically when it's describing what a doctor is. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah, Hugh Grant as the Doctor. What, would you want him as the Doctor, the real Doctor? Sure, why not? He's <laughs> handsome white guy. <laughs> <laughs> like he's got charisma enough to probably lead the role, and he's he's fine. Just a bit of a. I feel like he's almost a too big of an actor to be the Doctor. Yeah. You know, he feels too much like a celebrity casting. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, he regenerates into Joanna Lumley, who was actually named by John Nathan Turner as someone who could actually be and you know a female Doctor back in the eighties. And so it was interesting that they got she got cast here, mm. and she starred with Julia Swahala in Absolutely Fabulous, who is of course Emma. So they're True. making a mini reunion here. I've never seen Absolutely Fabulous. I've no idea what the never hell it's heard about. Of it. but yeah. It's probably about it, something fabulous. It was a sitcom for years, and when it got made into a movie, I, I know nothing about it. But she was in The Corpse Bride, Magic Roundabout, and of course, Paddington 2. Oh, I've, I've, <laughs> so, I've seen The Corpse Bride. I, I used to really enjoy Magic Roundabout when I was a kid, if it's the really bad CGI one. I had yeah. that on VHS <laughs> and watched it all the time. The fucking movie with Tom Baker as well. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a weird movie. Yeah. I remember it getting weirdly dark at certain points. Good time. Yeah, it was yeah. really dark. And I watched <laughs> it like a few years ago when I was more of an adult, and it's terrible. I'm it's sure. Awful. It's brilliant. Ro- Robbie Williams as a dog. I have no idea. Why? I just I just remember the good vibes that that film had. <laughs> the <know>. good vibes. <laughs> I bet you you relate to the hip the hippie uh, the rabbit, wasn't he? I honestly don't remember anything about the movie. I, I like. I just remember I watched it as a kid and found it enjoyable. And I can remember like certain scenes in my head, but I couldn't tell you like any character or their personalities. There was the blue guy who was bad. Yeah. He had like a. I he had a, a soul patch. Yeah, he was voiced by Ian McKellen, who was also in Doctor, and of course, the here was the the red guy, played by Tom Baker. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I gotta rewatch that movie. Great time. And and the snail was um, Frank Skinner. I don't. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we we should do a podcast on that movie. <laughs> but we should watch the terrible American one made by Harvey Weinstein. Oh no. <laughs> and So our our female doctor uh, jumps up and she's immediately thinking that she's got the same implants that the master's got and she's like oh look I, i've got the same thing as you did and emma's like nope those are just those are just boobs and she's like really i can see the on switch get it get it this is a very she's a very sexualized uh you know female version of the doctor sexualized for humor not so much for for grossness uh all the yeah. doctors are really really sexualized uh, in this. <laughs> um but Emma's like, oh my god, I'm not in love with you anymore because you're a woman and I'm not attracted to women. And uh, the doctor's like, oh, that's okay. We'll just travel the stars. You know, we'll just have a good time. Look, me and my trusty sonic screwdriver, which she pulls out and she clicks on and it, you know, it starts to vibrate. And she's like, oh, look, it's got three settings on it. Ooh. Uh, and Emma rips off her hand and she's never seen again. And then, uh, the doctor and the master start talking and they're like, oh my god, we're kind of kind of you're kind of attractive and you know do you want to you know walk away together do you want to kind of try this yeah. out and you know it's uh, kind of kind of flirting as we're kind of flirting uh, the master hides his dalek punk. yes yes <laughs> uh and you know the doctor goes i've always wondered why why do they call you the master and the master looks at her <laughs> seductively and he goes i'll explain later and then they walk off into the dark 
Dalek. They're just going to explore the Dalek ship. I don't know where they're going, but they they walk away and the credits roll. It's a very solid way to end that the, yeah. this 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 comedy set. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah, we we have the thirteenth Doctor played by a woman. I bet you that would never happen in real yeah. life. Don't see it happening ever. But but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, an interesting way to write a female doctor, but I'm sure Stephen Moffat was sitting there in the middle of the night in a d- dimly lit room being like, ha ha ha, ha ha, just giggling to himself. You know? <laughs> That's how I imagine he writes all of his scripts. <laughs> I, I, I bet you Stephen Moffat wishes he could have written stuff like that in the actual <laughs> show, you know, a little bit more of an adult a more, tone. <laughs> yeah, a bit more jokey. Um, but yeah, no. What did you think about about this? It's you know, it's a very brief, you know, it absolutely breezes watching through it just now, like it, it zips by. Uh, but what did you think about the curse of the fatal death? It's certainly the best Doctor Who parody joke thingy, McJigger, whatever you want to call it. It's it, you can obviously tell that Stephen Moffat absolutely adores the show. There's even behind the scenes footage of Stephen Moffat on set, and he's. He he steps inside the Dalek and he's like, "Oh my God, this is so much fun." He's he he's having a blast writing this, and of course, imagine him like six years later being asked to write for the actual show, yeah, and then five years after that, actually becoming the head writer, which is incredible. And yeah, you can tell he just loves the show, and that comes across. It's more of a loving parody than a let's just make fun of a shitty TV show that nobody likes. But a lot of parodies actually did mm-hmm. for the first, you know, thirty years of a show. Yeah, it's really fun. What do you yeah. think about it? Yeah, I thought it was really fun as well. You know, not a lot of the humor hit for me. You know, I'm not really into the whole toilet humor style. I loved the parody to Doctor Who, though. I thought it was an amazing parody of Doctor Who. Like, it felt like you were watching, like, a high-budget, weird, mirror universe classic Who episode, you know? Um, and, you know, there were... there Not to say there wasn't humor that didn't hit for me. If There was loads of humor that did hit for me. Uh, you know, the whole time travel jokes, the couch of moderate comfort, you know, all of this stuff, absolutely amazing. Definitely worth watching if you've got a 20 minutes to kill. It's, it absolutely zips by, and it's this yeah, interesting it's... piece of Doctor Who history. It's, it's on YouTube for free as well, yeah. so which is yeah. perfect, obviously. And yeah, yeah um, I wish we would do more stuff like this. You know, just a fun non-canon. Version just not of taking Doctor the Who. show so seriously every now yeah. and then is a nice, nice little breath of fresh air, isn't it? You know, nice little break where the show's like, yeah, you know, it's a silly, campy sci-fi show, and we know it is, but we all, we all do still love it. Um, yeah, there's, there's also so much in here that just reminds you of what Stephen Moffat would later write for the show. Which is it's it's a really interesting kind of retrospective on yeah. the entirety of Moffat's career of Doctor Who, just to see where it starts, and he basically borrows a lot of elements from this for his later stuff, which is really interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, and I I thought it was really good. I thought it was was really good. Uh, but in the meantime, Scott, what have we got coming up next week? Uh, coming up next week, we are doing Turn Left because we're very excited about Donna Noble yes. returning to the show. And what an episode. Maybe, she, maybe she's playing an alternative Donna. Like, you know, she, maybe this is an alternative Turn Left Donna that's going to be in the 60th anniversary oh, next be. year. Could be. I doubt it, but it could be. It could be. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? But Turn Left, I remember watching that live when it came out, and it was just... 
like jaw-droppingly good so i'm yes. so excited to revisit that um and in the meantime you could send us an email at who watches at gmail.com with any you know comments or questions that you've got doctor who related have you seen curse of fatal death what was your reaction to it who was your favorite doctor scott turned his camera off just now and it's back again there we go look at that brilliant Oh, it's in all HD. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, uh, I've lost my trail of thought. Email us at whowatcheswhopod at gmail.com and we will read it out at the end of the month in our news episode and reply to it. You'll also get a sneaky picture of my face. Uh, maybe. Who knows? Email and find out. Um, but this podcast you can find on Facebook at Who Watches Who, on Twitter at Watches Doctor, on YouTube at Who Watches Who, where it's available in video form. It is also available in audio form wherever you listen to your podcasts. There's a heap of links in the description. Scott's turned his camera off again. Why is he doing this to me? I'm trying to get. I'm trying to trying to do. Why, why, stop! Do, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do the exit. I'm trying to. I'm trying to end the episode. Don't leave yet. Leave when I stop talking. Then you can turn <laughs> your camera off. Jesus, uh, I don't even know what else I have to say. Follow me on Twitter at cloth two two three. And you know, in the meantime, go listen to more episodes or watch Doctor Who. Next week, turn left. The episode. Don't just turn left because I told you to. <laughs> Unless you need to. In which case, turn. Steve, turn left right now. You're going to miss the turning. Okay, right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. <laughs> bye.